Hello everyone, I am Mike Senior and I am here on the 14th episode of Project Studio Tea Break, Project Studio Tea Break <laughs> with, you know, I can't even get through the title of my own podcast. 14 episodes in and we nearly mastered the title. Maybe it's like the 10,000 hours principle, I've got to say it 10,000 times. <laughs> Oh, God, hang in there, audience. <laughs> For the record, if you edit out yeah. your first attempt to say, I'm quitting the podcast, I'm going to publish a big expose in The Guardian, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be finished. Uh, how are you doing? Have you earned your tea break? Oh, I, I have, thanks to my face palm, which actually happened yesterday. <laughs> so it's a box-fresh face palm. I am deep in tea break territory today and wallowing and loving it. How about you? Have you earned this uh, this time off? Yeah, I think I have. I've been doing kind of stuff on the website and trawling through loads of freeware for my patrons and things. So, it's, yeah, it's all... I'm feeling productive in a way that I wasn't quite feeling as much last month. That's bloody brilliant. And we are drowning in follow-up from the previous episode. First of all, I think you need to make the most exciting announcement. <laughs> Okay, I cannot tell you how exciting this is for me. Imagine getting like a hand signed note from your personal hero. Be that Buzz Aldrin. Be I mean, who, who's your big celebrity hero, Mike? Oh, I don't know, uh, Al Schmidt or someone like that. <laughs> Okay, so that happened for me this week. In fact, we got an email from Serial Davies. We didn't. I've had it printed and framed and locked in the vault. Um, This is the mastermind behind How to Win Against History. Wow. Which we waxed lyrical about in episode 10. At length. A musical theatre piece about the fifth Marquis of Anglesey. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really, really funny. Mm. I meant to ask him how he pitches the show. What's the (laughs) one-sentence pitch of the show? (laughs) It's about this marquee, right? Next! (laughs) There you go, there you go. (laughs) But not only did he drop us an email, he included in it a recommendation for our pieces with brilliant modulations. Oh! Uh, And this is the theme tune to 999 with Michael Burke. Now, is this a TV show you were familiar with? No, no, this is completely um, off my radar. Completely off my radar too. And (laughs) I have to say, after listening to the theme tune, I'm not clearing my schedule to check it out. It may be brilliant. Please do write in if if you know. But Serial alerted this to us because it has one of his favourite Picardy thirds. Oh, right. Yeah, we didn't cover any of that, did we? No, we didn't have a single one. And that's a kind of a key change, isn't it? Absolutely. It's just sort of an undeserved key change <laughs> as an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, it's actually even more incidental than the step-up key change, isn't it? It is. It's even lower it rent. <laughs> Uh, a Picardy third, for anyone who doesn't know, you have a piece in a minor key, and then right at the end, the last chord, you just make it major. You make it into a major key. Yeah. And this is justified because it's not. It's just not. <laughs> There's no excuse for this sort of lazy writing. Um, it was big in medieval and Renaissance music, and apparently in theme tunes for cop shows as well. But Mike, you have never heard a less earned Picardy thirds. <laughs> really, you haven't. Really, you, this entire piece is kind of textural and and minor, and then out of nowhere, there's a quick pause, <laughs> then a big final triumphant major chord oh, no. pulled out of goodness only knows where. Do you think it happened in the editing stage? Basically, they had a completely minor theme, and then just some guy in the editing suite goes, "Nah, we needed a major chord on the end," and just chopped it in from another theme. <laughs> this is genuinely more or less the vision I had in my mind, which was that it went to some executive and they said yes good no yes no good uh make it cheerful at the end (laughs) yeah yeah oh you want me to kind of rewrite the last third no no the end make the end cheerful yeah 
To any wealthy executives listening, I don't mean that. Please do get in touch. We're, we're always interested in collaborations and, and growing our brand. Yes, sponsorship is always available on podcasts. And frankly, there's nothing we won't change. I mean, and funnily enough, the sponsorship slot seems to clear up every month. The competition is intense. We've had some very high-profile sponsors. So, huge thanks for Serial getting in touch, who is now a subscriber, so um, hi as well. And also, we've had other listeners give us feedback. Of course, <laughs> I have a certain amount of in-family support for the podcast. <laughs> this month, my eldest daughter actually created a special explanatory comic <gasps> yes! for our acoustic sideburns. This is the happiest my eyes have been since I watched Death Ball, which is a, a <laughs> film about roller derby and murder that I saw when I was 12 years old. And there was a, a very saucy scene in there. But anyway, that was the highlight of my life until about two weeks ago when Mike sent me this comic. I have to say, even though she's my daughter, it is brilliant. And I was completely not expecting it. She was beavering away in her room drawing it. I think, I think this has to be our first t-shirt design oh yes i mean it totally does absolutely but not to be left out then my younger daughter created this <laughs> let me read you this post already so i haven't seen this one before okay the toast chooses the person it isn't the other way round. <laughs> Which is a summer blockbuster, I would see. So I think that's probably our second t-shirt design too. These are going to be the posters that are on sale during the live show when we finally take tea break on the road. The embodiment of child labour. <laughs> I mean, it's the secret to so many big brands' success. <laughs> We're standing in the footsteps of, yeah, horribly unethical corporate giants. Here's another follow-up. Uh, the jam from last month with Billie Eilish. Yes. Kel Surprise, Phineas O'Connell, her brother, yeah. turned me down for the interview for SOS. That sucks. But fortunately, we have another author on the SOS roster who's much better at getting these interviews who has managed to nail him down to an interview. That's amazing. You, you just weren't hip enough? Mm. I think you weren't dangerous enough. I think that's what it was. I'm worried you didn't wear your jeans with the lots of zips on them. <laughs> When you met this guy, and therefore he didn't think you were in touch enough with the youth. I didn't have a funny spelling of my name. <laughs> M-A-I-K yeah. is what I think you should go for. I think so. With plenty of umlauts. Um, also, are you a Star Wars fan? Um, I'm a fan of the first three films that were made, and then I sort of dropped off the radar. That's okay then, because you'll, you'll also share my sadness that Peter Mayhew, the actor who played Chewbacca, has died. Yes. Friend of the show. So I think in honour of Peter Mayhew, we do have to do our best Chewbacca impressions, so... How about that? You pre no, I object in the strongest. You prepared that. You prepared. I I'm sitting here in my boxers. I'm not. I'm wearing trousers. But still. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. I think that's good. It's really hard. I reckon if we mix those two together, we'd actually get even closer. <laughs> we'll sort it in post. I think so, I think so. I mean, you, you must have heard that Peter Mayhew could actually only go, No! <laughs> and it was thanks to... He was actually singing Ness and Dormer and they, uh, <laughs> they post-processed it. <laughs> jo George Lucas was sure that was going to work and then in the end when it turned out not to, he had to rely on the, the, the mixer. I mean, that kind of fits in because I think a lot of Italian opera aficionados are quite hairy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Congratulations, Breakers. You are here at the birth of a new stereotype, apparently. Hairy Italian opera lovers. <laughs> there was a friend of mine who had a theory about 19th century composers' beards. Oh, do tell. And he was saying that, that Brahms's music was the way it was because he had this big bushy beard and that Wagner was uh, had such a complex about not having a full beard that that was why he wrote what he did. And <laughs> That's why there was so much bitterness and anger. I think there's a lot of distance in there. Oh, there's a PhD in two books in that, I'm quite sure. Now, you know, we were talking about the death metal versus black metal classification. Yes. You know, do you sound like Cookie Monster or do you sound like Donald Duck? Right. Given that both of these voices were basically created by humans, it does present me with a classification problem. Oh, yes. Have you ever heard of the Baltimore-based metal band Hatebeak? They have managed to evade my uh, my searchlight. They've been around since 2003. They're still going. Okay. They feature Blake Harrison on drums. Mm-hmm. Mark Sloan on guitar and bass. Neat. And Waldo, the Congo Grey African Parrot, on vocals. Now tell me that is a stage name for a regular human. Nope. It is a Congo Grey African Parrot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is so good. And they've released an album. <laughs> the album's called Number of the Beak. Oh, no. <laughs> Includes tracks such as Roost in Peace, Seeds of Destruction, and The Thing That Should Not Beak. (laughs) Oh my god. And have you heard any of these tracks? Have you heard any of these vocals? I haven't actually tracked them down yet. I've not been curious enough, I admit. I've failed in my curiosity. There were just too many interesting things to look at this month. There's a lot this month, isn't there? You hit a rich vein. But they're not a touring concern because they're afraid for the parrot's health if subjected to high SBL levels on a metal stage. This was going to be my next question. So they're a studio-only metal band. So a, a environmentally friendly heavy metal band fronted by a grey parrot. Mm. They're not the only one, of course. Mike! <laughs> <laughs> It's a, I haven't had coffee yet. Like, how How are you dropping this on me? All right. There's also the band Caninus, which is a grindcore band with dual lead singers who are two female pit bull terriers <laughs> who are splendidly named Budgie and Basil. <laughs> Sadly, though, the band was dissolved in 2011 when the dogs died. So uh, No! Aww. It's in memoriam now, unfortunately, Caninus. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, given that those two existed, I mean, that, uh, Hate Beak's been around since 2003. I'm amazed there aren't more of these. Well, yeah, now that there are two, I feel like this ought to be a whole subject. What animals would you put front and centre of your thrash band? Isn't it obvious? It will be a YouTube sensation. Kittens. <laughs> Have a, a heavy metal kitten video with the kitten being the vocalist. I mean, it's, it's so obvious. It's such a slam dunk. I would assume it's already there. I mean, okay, now we're going to have to put our, our money where our mouth is and Google, the, the silent third podcaster, <laughs> is going to answer this question for us. Kitten heavy metal. Oh, it, it exists, Mike. Oh, wow, you see? <laughs> it exists. It is in the common shared human knowledge. <laughs> this is truly inevitable yeah. from the off. But what I will tell you yeah. is that these heavy metal cats, um, which I am now watching and loving, <laughs> they are cats. They are not kittens. Oh, well, they missed a trick. So there is still a unique niche for you. I'll tell you what, these viral sensations are just 
dropping out of our podcast at the moment. They're just <laughs> we should rename ourselves Viral Tea Break Podcast. Oh, the, the Viral Factory. We mm. we have launched so many successful YouTube careers mm. Mm. by mm. this time. Now, some more follow-up. You know how in our QA segment last month we were talking about how many instruments it was possible to play at once <laughs> without mechanical assistance. I have vague traumatic memories of that, yeah. <laughs> and we, I think we got up to about 27. I, th- I think it was high 20s. I thought, well, Surely someone's already tried this. <laughs> so I did a bit of trawling around, and it turns out there is actually a world record for the number of instruments played at once. Oh. It's not an official Guinness record yet. Okay. But what do you reckon it is? Okay, so we got to 27. If it's less than 27, then we need to stop recording and set a new world record. Hmm. Uh, I could imagine someone getting up to 35, but at that point, you're just at the limits of the number of fingers, toes, and orifices Mm-mm. that you have. Well, it appears that the current record is five. <gasps> Oh my gosh! <laughs> so you know the thought that immediately came into my head. <laughs> I do, Mike. Because in this respect, we are similar. So I was straight onto the Guinness Book of Records website <laughs> to see how you apply to set a record for the most instruments played at one time without mechanical assistance. And I hereby announce my world record attempt. <laughs> so wait, I'm what is planning the process? It. This has got to be a recurring segment now, your your journey. Well, I mean, I'm thinking we should do this as a special episode, kind of patrons only Absolutely. thing. But the thing is, the guys who've done it so far, there was one guy who did it with four instruments. He did it with three guitars and a, and a keyboard. Then there was a guy who did it with a harmonica, a miniature trumpet, a piano, a guitar, and maybe a bass, something like that. He did that all together. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that I could probably do violin, guitar, shaker, all with my right hand. <laughs> so that's three. I reckon I could play a bass line on the piano with my left hand while playing a triangle with my left hand. Yes. So that's already up to five. And then if I play a kazoo for the tune <laughs> and I tap my foot on the tambourine, I think I'll get up to seven. So I'd be a comfortable increase on what seems to be the unofficial world record of five. I just want to know what's happening with your, what I'm going to call your lazy foot. You got one on a tambourine. What's the other doing? So, uh, maybe I, I don't know. I might need that to keep my balance. <laughs> <laughs> That's the logistics foot. And I mean, actually, if you take out the option of like gaffer taping things to things, it gets trickier. If you actually have to hold the instruments, that cuts down the possibilities. Mm-mm. And also, I kind of felt it was maybe a bit of a cop out just to have loads of percussion instruments because you can just like strap those to yourself. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll try. And, I'll leave myself a bit of leeway. Then if someone ups the ante on seven, then I can get the, the Morris dancing bells out. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the tam tam behind the head. So I'm gonna try and make it so I can play these seven instruments at once, and I'm gonna try and video it, mm-hmm. and I'll provide that video then for the patrons, and I'll send it off to Guinness and see whether we can actually get registered as an official Guinness World Record, which would be so cool. For the record, though, you're not gonna film this. As and when this occurs, I'm jumping on a bus. I'm coming to you, and I am your official videographer. <laughs> I've got the, I've got new guitar strings. Amazing. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a bit of practice, I think, to get, uh, get all the coordination working, so I'll keep you posted. Surely not. <laughs> and, because, of course, thinking about it, mm. you're not going to be able to stop any of the strings on the guitar or the violin. Nope. No, no. So I think I'm going to have to use be... a seriously non-standard Nashville-style <laughs> guitar tuning as well. Okay, this is the only thing I'm going to do for our nerdy, nerdy listeners. As and when you have the arrangement sorted, I will score it. Oh, brilliant! Oh, I will score it as a proper, real <laughs> seven-line score with tuning instructions oh, and the rest. Yes. So anyone else yes. who fancies giving a go <laughs> at 
this charming piece of music. Oh, but I'm totally on the case now. I'm laser guy. There's going to be about six pages of performance instructions at the beginning, but if you can dig through that, it'll be, it'll be fairly legible. News. Hark the news theme. Now, you were mentioning last month about the summer festival season beginning. Yes, indeed. And as I'm sure you can attest, there are times when the bugs get to be a bit annoying. Like midges. Like mosquitoes. Yeah. And fortunately, there has recently been some exciting scientific development in this area. I get nervous when you say exciting. Oh, yes. I, I'm, I always get scared. Now, as you and I already know, as regular readers of the scientific journal Acta Tropica... Frequent subscribers, yes. Cast your mind back to the recent volume 194... <laughs> The June issue. Pages 93 to 99. <laughs> One second, I have my collection here. One okay, got it. Got it. Off the shelf. So you can look at the graphs. Mm -hmm. But just to jog your memory, researchers have discovered that dubstep may provide the answer to mosquito problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A team of researchers <laughs> decided to collect together two groups of mosquitoes. One is a control group. And to the other, they played Skrillex's Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites and observed the results. The results were breathtaking. The mosquitoes visited the host significantly less often. Mm -hmm. They attacked them much later and blood feeding activity was lower. Because <laughs> they were too busy getting down to the filthy drop. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if it's putting them off their food, it just clearly shows that mosquitoes have no taste. <laughs> I think that's a great track. <laughs> Me too. Here's my question. Like, that is a brilliant result. Yeah. And it would have been a great experiment to take part in. What was the thought immediately before? <laughs> oh, well, in that case, we need to play Skrillex loudly into a tub full of mosquitoes. Like, what? what is that the logical follow-up to? Maybe it was an observational thing. They just happened to be playing Skrillex in one laboratory and they noticed the change in mosquito <laughs> behaviour and thought that they would try to codify that into an experiment. <laughs> Now, whether that means that lots of mosquito researchers listen to dubstep or that very few do, and so when one person does, it makes a difference to the results, I don't know. I mean, I want to believe that it was... Only the International Board of Mosquito Researchers can clarify this issue. They can, and, and frankly, they've been silent for too long. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, we reach out... Oh, to... hang on. Oh. I've got a message coming in from them. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I actually can't keep my headphones on with that noise. Our listenership has just halved. That's right. Three people have just stopped listening because that is the most... Lotte, get back here. <laughs> yeah, mum, keep listening. What an awful, awful noise. Yeah. Have you heard the, the quote attributed to Gandhi about mosquitoes? No. If you ever feel like you are too small to make a difference, spend a night in a tent with a mosquito. Yeah, that is yeah. good. Right? No. <laughs> but, I mean, we have to seriously consider the ramifications of this important scientific research. Mm -hmm. I mean, it clearly means that every outdoor festival needs to have a dubstep stage simply for pest control purposes. <laughs> you are thinking small, Mike. Every <laughs> festival needs a protective ring. 
of dubstep <laughs> stages around its entire perimeter. The dubstep market could increase exponentially here. <laughs> there should be UN missions of dubstep producers being sent out to malaria-infested countries <laughs> to discourage the, the mosquitoes. Of course, the other possible explanation is that mosquitoes are just massive folk heads. It could be. They are sock and sandal-wearing acoustic fans. Yeah, and r- real snobs into the bargain. Absolutely. This is some yeah. sort of snobbish disapproval of dubstep. They're looking down their proboscis at dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, end the, end the segment. We're not going to get better than that. <laughs> the thing is, there's a pleasing karmic nature to these findings too, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of a Welsh company called Moving Sound Technologies? I have, yes. And do you know what their main product is? I don't know. It is a product called the Mosquito. Basically a little speaker that emits a mosquito-like buzzing noise at about 17 kilohertz and that is designed to disperse loitering groups of teenagers. I did hear about this. Right. <laughs> and they've been selling like hotcakes in the US as a, basically a way to keep <laughs> young people away from like storefronts, parks, stations, tunnels, oh, God. Uh, industrial estates, even playgrounds out of hours to prevent vandalism and, and, and like drug taking and stuff. That's monstrous. I, I, no. But I think it's such a pleasing circularity that, you know, given that the sound of mosquitoes can repel teenagers, it's wonderful that the sound of teenagers can repel mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, you buzzing menaces. So what we're after, what pacifists like me in the world are after, is a sound that teenagers and mosquitoes can agree on. <laughs> we need something to bring them together. And I, I don't know if that's Peter, Paul and Mary. Who knows? There is clearly demand for more research here. We need to know whether like, um, a thrash metal can keep rabid dogs at bay or, or <laughs> easy listening can stave off mildew. Uh, I have to take issue there. Easy listening is the acoustic equivalent of mildew. <laughs> Sort of damp and a little stagnant. Yeah, but maybe that's why it might work. Because if you're saying that dubstep is the musical equivalent of mosquitoes, maybe it'll have that same connection. You see, these are the kinds of hypotheses we need to be investigating. Okay, I want to play this game now. What is the <laughs> what is the physical incarnation of different styles? I mean, you've got the easy ones. Yeah. Salsa is salsa. Everyone can agree. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or maybe it's guacamole. No, guacamole is creamy. I think guacamole is Latin jazz. The guacamole of Latin music. Okay. <laughs> Don't know any Latin jazz musicians who'd be happy with that comparison. But okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give you one. What is the physical manifestation of funk? Funk. Tight, funky music. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, beef jerky? <laughs> I didn't have one, but your, your kind of movement when you tried to get into the zone of funk made me think, oh, it's chickens. Yeah. Chickens are. They've got the strut. Yeah, I, I admit I was doing a bit of the funky chicken. Better than the funky gibbon. Yeah. Um, I, oh, crumbs. Well, I mean, I think, well, pop would have to be sherbet, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. It's kind of that immediate hit and it doesn't last for very long. No. And it kind of leaves you feeling a bit crappy afterwards. Yeah, yeah if you have too much, you'll just feel a bit... Uh, rock and roll yeah. would have to be like Jack Daniels or something, surely. Well, it depends. So, yeah, rock and roll is Jack Daniels. Maroon Five is Tesco Value Whiskey. <laughs> or it's a virgin cocktail. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but with a really edgy name. One other key question I think that more research is required for. Oh, yes. What would happen if you'd played those mosquitoes other bits of music? Mm-hmm. Another finding of the study, you see, was that, and I quote from the findings, adult mosquitoes exposed to the music copulated far less than their counterparts kept in an environment where there was no music. 
And to be honest, I think this does stand to reason because I think it'd be quite off-putting, really, to have Skrillex going... <laughs> doing all that kind of wow stuff, When is right? your acapella cover of Bangarang coming out? I cannot wait any longer. Bangarang! And I'm going to insist, acapella and solo. That's what I want for my next birthday. I can do that as my mic test after I've finished um, Twas Brillig. But my question is, would the opposite finding occur if you played them Barry White? <laughs> you know, and if it did actually have this effect and suddenly mosquito numbers soared, would Barry White then become illegal to play in public in places which had malaria infestations? <laughs> a little over a year ago, two naive and bright-eyed young men started a podcast about music and music technology. And now here we are talking about the erotic dimension of mosquitoes. I just... Where did we lose our way? I think I might have contracted dengue fever from some Barry White loving mosquito. That's why I'm, I'm hallucinating. <laughs> so actually um, related to this, we're actually going to have two related topics um, mm. out of character for us. Black soldier fly are a, um, a kind of fly that's sort of black. I thought that was the name of a metal band actually for a moment. <laughs> black soldier fly. I would go see them. Mm. They're bred for food because the larva is extremely nutritious and they're in general very easy to breed. Oh, okay. The only thing is in their fly form to get them to actually mate is difficult. The temperature has to be perfect. Mm. The lighting level has to be perfect. Yeah. And it has been found that playing Barry White to these insects <laughs> increases rates of copulation. Anyone who does believe me, Google this. Oh, wow. <laughs> you see, the research is all coming together. There are huge fields of sheds in middle America where, where these things are bred. Oh, my just God. Just banging out Barry White 24-7 for some horny flies. I bet you didn't think that's where a royalty stream would be coming from, did he? <laughs> I mean, take it where it comes. The fly love doctor. <laughs> oh, I'd give anything for him to release a specifically for that audience sort of thing with, with lots of sensual references to their weird body parts. <laughs> Put your many-jointed leg around me. Mandibles, thorax. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. What's weird, though, is that Barry White could make that sexy. I, I don't care what the words are. So, John, your face palm of the month. Just lie down on the couch there and uh, tell me all about it. Precisely. I could use that. <laughs> as you know, when I'm not musicking, I make theatre. Mm. And as everyone must know by this time, I live in Berlin. Where was that? Berlin. Yes, I thought it was. It's no big deal. <laughs> so I've been doing bits for other people's shows, but I haven't ever actually made a show in Berlin, made my show in Germany yet. Oh, right. So um, I'm starting work on that. Oh, fabulous. Which is great. Yeah. And, um, you know, meeting cool musicians and, and cool actors and that sort of thing. Mm. But producers. Oh, right. Producers are gold dust. Producers are hen's teeth. Producers has always, for me, been the trickiest part of theatre work. <laughs> yeah. Because... I'm already sensing the jeopardy in this story. <laughs> <laughs> All I can hope to communicate to you at the moment is that relationships with producers, the people who, like, secure the funding and have the relationships with the venues and the bookers, these relationships are very important 
as not easy. <laughs> I'm sure it all went smoothly in your case, though. Of course, right. This in this segment called Things That Went Just Fine, thank you very much. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate in um, having as my mentors a theatre company here in Berlin called Merlin. Mm. And they, as well as looking after me and fending me away from some of my worst ideas. Um, <laughs> That's an important role of any mentor, I think. Vital. <laughs> that, nah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> they kind of pause and look. Yeah. After you, after you pitch something, kind of, really? <laughs> Wonderful people. Yeah. And they, um, they vouched for me for their producer, their long-term collaborator. Oh, wow. It's a vote of confidence. Who's Good. sorted out their stuff in Berlin and also their frequent tours to China, to Korea, all over Europe. Wow. You know, this is a neato producer dude. Yeah. I would brush my hair for this meeting. Blimey. So uh, I'm emailing this guy and I have my reminders set to kind of email him again each week. No, no part of me expects that this guy who's never had his own show in Germany before is going to be top of this guy's priorities. But I'm like, I'll wear him down and I'll get a meeting. You're going to give it a bit of the hustle. So yesterday... At about 11, I'm, I'm kind of leaving for a choir that I run in the middle of the city. Yeah. And I get um, a phone call from this producer. He's in a cafe, mm. which is nice. Been in the cafe for about 45 minutes, mm-hmm. waiting for me. Oh, ah, my skin's crawling. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> my entire life crumbled around oh, me. No. Because I had suggested a time for a meeting. And he hadn't replied. Except he had. Oh, and it had gone God. to my junk and I hadn't checked the junk. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, it's oh, like God, death my... by internet malfunction. <laughs> Precisely. Oh, no. And he was he was quite upset, reasonably enough. But there's a surprise. And I didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> I would love to tell you that what I did was say, I am so sorry. There appears to have been... A significant misunderstanding, and I hope you'll excuse me trespassing on your time in this way. I have to go into work just now, but I will get to the bottom of what happened. Yeah. Once again, you have my apologies regardless. Yeah. And if you'd like to reschedule at some point, mm. you know, the coffee's on me. No, no, no I gibbered. <laughs> I gibbered and stuttered. Is it gibbered or gibbered? Uh, I always say gibbered, but it could be gibbered. I did both. It is a gibbon, so it's not like a rule, is it? <laughs> I did all three. <laughs> I, I gibboned and gibbered and gibbered and... <laughs> The word sorry or its or its constituent syllables was in there a lot, yeah. as was a sort of choked up, trying not to panic cry. Oh, no. um, this is that horrible, one of the ground to swallow you up feeling where there's just, you're just 100% shame. Precisely that. And you just feel like, oh my God, there's nothing I can even do to atone for this. Not that I rank people internally in my brain, but just of all the people I could have left waiting in a cafe for me. Yeah. That was not ideal. Yeah. And this is a story without an end at the moment this is just a horrible thing that happened for john um so check your junk emails frequently yes we have got a tentative reschedule thing which i'm going to arrive four and a half hours early for yeah <laughs> you'll be staying overnight so that you're there in advance i'll be there in a sleeping bag four hours before they open just ready to get in there oh my god oh that's kind of one of those nightmare freelance situations isn't it absolutely where you feel like okay this is a big event and then it's that event where something chooses to go pear-shaped in a dreadful way. Of course. Actually, it's a little bit of a corollary of last month's face palm, actually, isn't it? I was going to say, yeah, yeah. That's why it feels so raw to me. It still feels, feels so fresh. <laughs> face palm by proxy. <laughs> Digging deep into our bag of 
questions from our loyal listeners. Mm-hmm. We have one this month from Denise Wilkinson. Hi, Denise. And she asks, it's short and sweet. She's after our wisdom on this topic. What's your favourite note? Ooh. Tricky. Now, Mike, I'll be honest. After that face farm, I was kind of hoping that we'd get something light and a little whimsical. But it is an important topic, and actually it does deserve our attention. Well, I mean, what are some of the factors involved here? Well, you, you got kind of richness, sourness, uh, um, scary, sporty, baby. Um, <laughs> all, all to take into account. Well, I wonder whether a preference for certain notes could come from like external influences. Okay. I mean, if you're all say like a string player, then I can imagine that like G and D and A might be ones that you're used to. And that if you are to choose a note just randomly, you might choose one of those. I think that's entirely true. Or E if you're a guitarist. That is true, but it's even broader than you're making out. As a um, extremely socially anxious person, (laughs) the pitch of my doorbell... Oh, wow. Wherever I hear it, I think I would associate with, oh, God, there are humans nearby. So you would never choose that Um, in in a lineup of notes if you wanted to choose your favourite note? I erase it from scales, regardless of what degree it takes. Do you find yourself not using it in compositions and things? (laughs) Absolutely. I'll have it in other octaves. That's fine. But just not that That one. That one pitch is unacceptable to me. I'll have to rearrange my world record thing to include that on a glockenspiel. Just that one note, yeah, bouncing over and over again. <laughs> but I mean, there are lots of external influences that could be part of it. I mean, you know, um, like Maine's hum. Mm. You know, here, here in Europe, that's like fifty hertz. In the states, it's sixty hertz. So, I, I mean, I wonder then whether there is a preference amongst the Brits for like B flat, whereas with the Americans, it's for B. Interesting. I wonder if anyone's ever done an American edit that's a half a tone higher for that reason. That'd be quite amusing. I well. Fun fact, California Dreaming is sped up, I think, about a tone and a half. That's a lot. Yeah, it's significantly higher than it um, <laughs> than it was recorded. Yeah. It just sounded better that way it was decided. I think there was quite a common thing of people doing that, just putting the speed up a tick on the tape machine when they did the transfer. Um, you've also got these, like, you know, the kind of buzzing noise that you get from your phone when on that kind of interference? Yes. I mean, I think that's a slightly flat A. Do you have perfect pitch? No. Oh, okay. No, n- neither I. I did actually listen to it and hunt around on the keyboard until I found the same note. <laughs> That's where I've come to in my life. <laughs> well, I don't think I would necessarily be able to pick that pitch out of a lineup if, in the kind of third woodblock in a huge symphony, someone was knocking out the rhythm mm. of mobile phone interference on a speaker. I would pick right then. That moment, I would hear that. Isn't that Shostakovich 7? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, bar 18 of the second movement. I, I swear it is. I'm pretty sure there's a bit where it's... I think it's just, it's just a game, it's five. There's a bit of that where there's this long-held note like that, and then they're all d- doing stuff around it. Pretty sure. I will absolutely look that up. My, my reading list from this episode is extensive, mm. but I would love to hear that musically used. Well, I mean, there used to definitely be theories of um, certain notes and certain keys having different characters back in the days when we didn't use equal temperament. Yes. Because if you had a mean-tempered keyboard, then certain keys would sound really nasty and out of tune. It was as you added sharps and flats. Composers used that as well, didn't they? Yes, completely. If, if you wanted this kind of grimy, off-centre tuning. Isn't there like a, a chorus in one of the Bach Passions, that, like Thunder and Lightning Chorus or something like that, where he does it in B major specifically to make it all out of tune? I wouldn't put it past him. He was a clever bloke, as they go. But now that's kind of less... That's an issue, isn't it, with the whole equal temperament? Although, I know people who swear by the character of different keys in even temperament. It's not something I buy. 
personally. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The a minor is lyrical and E minor is dark and all this stuff. Well, it might be if you have a certain group of instruments. Okay, yeah. I mean, because, you know, like a wooden-bodied instrument would have, or in fact any instrument, has its formants as well as its tone producers. Mm. So the thing that's making the pitches will interact with the resonant characteristics of the instrument in different ways, depending on which notes it's playing. And so there might be certain keys that have certain characters for that reason on that instrument. You know what? That I would buy. Maybe even on groups of instruments. That I would go for. But if we get down to specifics, I mean, would you go for a white note or a black note? (laughs) White note or black note? Wow. Okay. So yeah, let's radicalise this podcast straight off. (laughs) I'm quite alternative Mm. and very different. So I think it's got to be a black note for me. I'm, you know, the notes in between the notes. And the great thing about black notes is that they kind of have this dual value thing, you know, an F sharp can also be a G flat. (laughs) So... (laughs) And yeah, while there are E's out there making claims to be F flats, no one's really buying that. The usage of an F flat is pretty rare, isn't it? It's true. Whereas... Like an E flat being a D sharp. I mean, both of those are in common use. Mm-hmm. That might even be my candidate, actually, E flat, because it's in the C minor chord, and I've always just liked C minor. Okay. I think probably because I've never been that good a pianist, and the idea of starting from C major always seemed appealing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always liked minor keys, so I thought, well, I'll make C major, C minor then. A transformation <laughs> that will echo down the ages. But also, D sharp always seems to be part of nice kind of modulatory things. And in any kind of key that I normally can play, so I never play things in D flat major, it's like... <laughs> When there's a D-sharp in there, it's doing something interesting. It's doing something cool. Mike, we're taking this question much more seriously than I thought we were. I thought we were going to make some sarcastic jokes (laughs) about how they were all the same. (laughs) And brush on. But no, I do see where you're coming from with D-sharp slash E-flat. My note of choice. Yeah. My note of choice is going to be middle C. Crumbs. That came out of left field. Yeah, right. Um, oh, you you sell out that populist choice. <laughs> Everyone's first note. Fine, I'm A438. That's the only real note that exists, I think. Sacred geometry. Brain resonances. No, I like middle C because it is the gateway to music. It's the gateway to play. Oh, wow. That is a grand statement. It's where probably everyone from the brilliant composers to Timmy Langham down the road comes into the keyboard. No, I get that. I think that's a good reason to vote for middle C. Thanks. I was really relieved when I heard those words coming out of my mouth and they made a sort of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we suspect. No one could have guessed it, really. <laughs> Among his many, many talents, Mike is very good at completely sniping what was a productive day for me. <laughs> And let, let me break down what I mean. <laughs> the other day, I was at my computer. I was happily mixing. I was getting lots done. And then just without explanation, bing, this photo comes through from Mike. And it's of an upright piano with the front taken off. And bull clipped to the strings <laughs> is a piece of toast. Bull clipped so that when the hammers come forward, rather than hitting the strings, they'll hit this toast. And wouldn't you believe it? That's all I can think about at that stage. <laughs> the EQ of this horns part just does nothing to hold my attention because it's not a video, mind you. It's a photo. And I want to know how that sounds. 
Oh, but I had to keep it close to my chest, John. I had so to like, keep what's the story here? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was so inspired by last month's sponsor. Mm. Obviously, I contacted Modular Acoustics and mm. asked them to uh, send me their special slice mounting kit oh, yes. for acoustic piano. <laughs> oh, that's what that was. And uh, used its special toaster clips mm-hmm. to fit the slice of toast in front of the hammers of the piano mm-hmm. in order that I could generate the all-new toast foley for this month. The most musical toast foley that could possibly be generated. <laughs> Right, shall we dive right in, ladies and gentlemen? Announcing Modular Acoustics sponsored <laughs> Toast Foley. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say that puts me in mind of John Cage's ill prepared piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chronically underprepared piano. <laughs> I tell you, and actually, your comment in response to my original photo was oh, the crumbs. Yes! I'd forgotten about that because just imagine it. And it is the first time I've ever found myself hoovering the inside of a piano. (laughs) I just can't think of anywhere less accessible than the places crumbs go when you hit them on an upright piano. Look on the bright side. At least it didn't have marmalade on it. (laughs) The poor felt. It would have been pretty rank if it had anything on it. When I was in London, I, I went to a piano destruction performance. Oh, wow. It was quite cool. It was this musician playing and gradually destroying a piano. And he, you know, he, he wound up with, yeah, wood chips on the floor. Wow. And I, I had quite a strong response to that. I, you know, I really liked it. I thought it was very powerful. Yeah. But even I am not sadistic enough. Even he was not sadistic enough <laughs> to put crumbs in it. Or to even <laughs> mention marmalade. That's a... A new level of cruelty. (laughs) Depravity. That's just mean. So, I can say we have video evidence of this once-in-a-lifetime event (laughs) that I will be posting on the patrons' feed for our lovely patrons. Watch Mike do it so you don't have to, because, trust me. It's in the interests of pianos everywhere. However bleak your life and or piano seems, it's not worth it. Just see the professional ruining his own piano. Was that your piano, incidentally? It was, yeah. You didn't slip into a piano Shop. You can just walk into someone else's house and go, do you mind if I use your piano? I've got this bit of toast, you see. I imagined you sprinting onto a concert <laughs> stage, midway through a setup change, and just taping it there oh, and yeah. having a whack. Yeah. Anyway, so this leads us <laughs> seamlessly and slightly covered in crumbs into our What's Your Jam this month. So, John, what is your jam? I don't know what I'm going to do for Toast Foley next month. You have, you have upped the ante somewhat significantly. Okay. Today we're going to talk about Wolfpack. Right. Now, as my favourite article about them ever begins, if you haven't heard of Wolfpack, you can be sure that none of your friends have heard of Wolfpack. They would have told you. <laughs> and it's... That's great. It's true that this is one of those bands that creates some degree of uh, evangelistic fervour in its fans. Yeah. For example, one of them might dedicate an entire segment of a podcast. For example. Just to talking about how bloody good they are. Idiots. <laughs> and also, it ties into something earlier in the podcast. This band formed in, in 2011. Okay. Which I always thought was just, you know, when they all happened to come together and decide to make music. I now realise that it was in response to the tragic and premature breaking up of Caninus. <laughs> It was a grief-stricken response. And what better way to commemorate and honour the memory of a dog featuring heavy metal band Mm. than with the tightest, funkiest rhythm section 
of the 21st century. Oh, yeah. So that's what they do. They're a funk band. Oh, fabulous. I'm a big fan of funk. Yeah, it's great. What's on your funk playlist? Well, I mean, just any kind of funk influence mm. in anything. I mean, I've liked some of the funky stuff that Prince has done. Mm. I mean, I've been a big fan of James Brown. Funnily enough, I don't think I listen to much pure funk music, so to speak, or classic funk music. It's more that I like a lot of music that has funk influences in it. Mm. And of course, because a lot of funk music has been sampled then for other electronic music, yeah. you get that then in like EDM stuff, which I like too. At risk of losing all my credibility before we even start, <laughs> there's a track on Cully Ray Jetson's album Emotion called Boy Problems. Okay, I've probably heard it once in a while because my youngest daughter's absolutely mad on Cully Ray Jetson. Or was. What does she think of the new single? New single? Oh, it dropped like three days ago. Oh, blimey. Crumbs. Oh, okay, well, that Do you mind work. just like going away and bringing her down here and we can talk about Carly Rae Jepsen for a while? Because That'll earn me some serious brownie points when I whisk that one out. Yeah, <laughs> fabulous. Great. Thanks for the tip. No, at all. Julian is the best track on there, just in case you want to have some cool opinions about it. <laughs> I'll take that cred implant. <laughs> cred transfusion, that's it. From me to you. I've got, I've got enough to spread around. Yeah. And I think you actually bring up a good point, that there are lots of people who really enjoy funky music mm. who don't listen to that much pure funk and I think that's because a lot of pure funk music sounds like a great backing track yeah I know what you mean yeah get a singer on that get a soloist on that and you've got music <laughs> um, <laughs> you have impure funk yeah there we go yeah we have you have adulterated funk and I think Wolfpack realized this because while they do some just like solid groove tracks they collaborate with a lot of artists okay they, Anton Stanley does a lot of singing with them, a lot of their best stuff. So there are people who appear for one track and, and go away. Yeah. There's two secrets to their success, which I'm going to share now. Okay. And then you too can be Wolfpack. Okay. The first is a lot of extremely ambitious, weird projects. Now, I'm sure you would have been aware of this when it came out. An album called Sleepify that was released on Spotify. I ah, oh, no, you see, I thought I recognised the name, yes, of that, and I've okay. already begun to join the dots. <laughs> this is one of the most fabulous Spotify hacks. Anyway, give me the details because I don't remember the exact details. Well, I mean, it is probably exactly as you remember it. This band recorded a, a recorded is too strong a word. Published <laughs> an album called Sleepify to Spotify, and it was about the length of a normal album in in tracks and stuff. And they yeah. they asked their fans to play it on loop. While they slept. Well, it was like a crowdfunding thing, wasn't it? So this is the thing. Sleepify, every single track was silent. <laughs> there was no audio data anywhere on the album. And so this band's grassroots fan base played it constantly. Oh, that's just brilliant. They would ask for it to be played at places and at times where no one wanted to hear music. And they said, oh, I have a great album for that. And so it went round and round. Oh, that's fabulous. Before Spotify got them and... <laughs> Took down the album. Closed the loophole. <laughs> With no sense of humour at all. I mean, you want to reward ingenuity like that, surely. Well, perhaps if it hasn't cost you $19,655. Oh, that's a small price to pay for supporting independent musicians. <laughs> I know, that's brilliant. And then the other thing, which I think is just genius, it would have been easy for Spotify to jump on them yeah. and say, look, you are stealing money and you're not just stealing money from us. We get our money from subscribers and you're just stealing money from them. Yeah, that's our job. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. We don't want the competition. This is 20 grand out the pockets of normal people. But what they did, oh, goodness me, was that as soon as Spotify found them out and pulled the album, they announced an admission-free tour 
of their actual music, funded by the 20 grand they got from Spotify. So Spotify <gasps> couldn't say anything. Oh, that is so good. Spotify could either stay quiet and pay up, because there was some question as to whether they were going to, or they could cancel an admission-free tour of this band that everyone loved. I love that kind of thing, because it really is a kind of a sticking it to the man thing, and it's mm. sticking it to the man twice in a row. <laughs> yes. Because they thought up the thing in the first place, realised there was that loophole, and made hay while the sun shined, mm-hmm. and then... When it turned round on them, they basically turned the tables on Spotify by making it so that Spotify couldn't then pursue them for their... (laughs) Ill-gotten gains. Or rather, it wasn't that they couldn't, but that they didn't want to. In fact, it's very similar to that Michael Jackson thing I mentioned the other day, of him signing the refund checks himself. Oh, yes! Yes, and then no one cashed them. It's like Spotify could reclaim the money, but they would never want to. It's just brilliant. (laughs) I love that kind of psychology. It's so brilliant. So this had various fun pop culture references. My favourite being that Tim Johns of The Guardian yeah. actually wrote a review of this album. <laughs> Was it blank? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, this is a... It should have just been blank column inches. That would have been fabulous. Um, so for this, you just need to know that the track listing here, track one is called Z. Yeah. Uh, track two is ZZ. Track three is ZZZ. <laughs> All the way up to 10 tracks. Okay, so here's an extract from the Guardian review. You ready? Oh, yeah. Opening track, Zed, suddenly sets the tone. A subtle, (laughs) intriguing word that teases the listener as to what may come come next. Oh, yeah. It's followed by ZZ and ZZZ, which continue along similar lyrical themes while staying true (laughs) to Sleepify's overriding minimalist aesthetic. By the midpoint, you realise Wolfpack are aiming to pull off the same trick as the Ramones. They may only have one song, but it's an effective one. God, that's great. (laughs) It's true! It's so good! Well, I'm afraid our tea break is coming to the end, but there is still time to quickly thank our sponsor for this month. We have Tactile Zoom. They have identified that there is a central problem to the use of a lot of technology. Mm. The controls that you use to adjust parameters within the technology don't have enough control resolution. Right. Not, not granular enough. Yeah. And they specifically have focused on the humble pan control. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell you're the kind of guy like me who has often been frustrated by the lack of precision when setting pan positions by hand. Right. I mean, it just feels like there aren't enough points mid-left and mid-right. Precisely, yes. There's just no subtlety. Last someone's being brave enough to say it. Mixes are fairly primitive at the moment in that way. But Tactile Zoom have come up with a solution. Mm. Mm. They've realised that you never want to pan both left and right at the same time. Mm -hmm. So they've come up with a switchable pan pot. Genius. So your pan pot can now only go left when the switch is one way and only go right when the switch is the other way. So now you have twice the panning precision that you had before because you can use the whole pan control just to pan left. Just for left or just for right. Mm Mm-hmm. Mike, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> well, well, of course it is. It's our... It's Sorry, our... of course it is. Our sponsors are universally havers of great ideas and legitimate real products. <laughs> 
But this one, I'm not sure if we should strip this bit off the air and you actually just go get a patent quickly. <laughs> if only you could, if this very real company hadn't done it already. Sounds like a great system. Yeah, if you want further information on the Tactile Zoom products, then do send your emails into uh, tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. You can tweet at us on Twitter at uh, twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. And please do us both a favour and let someone know. Yes. Follow the quote about Wolfpack. You know, Wolf, Wolfpack. Wolfpack, sorry. It's <laughs> quite all right. <laughs> if you are the friend who hasn't told your friend yet, please go tell someone. Just find someone and say, there's this really weird podcast that you might want to listen to. <laughs> Maybe sell it a bit better than that. And if, if all of you tell one person, then that could double our listenership. So if we don't double our listenership on this episode, we're just going to be forced to conclude that none of you have friends. Or that you chose not to tell them and then we'll get the hump. We'll record an entire like passive-aggressive podcast episode. <laughs> Welcome to Project Studio Tea Break, I guess. Yeah. Make yourself at home. Why don't you? <laughs> right, so face palm. I put my heart and soul into a podcast. Not that anyone cares. Yeah, right. So that's kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so an hour of that. Yeah, live in fear. Uh, if you are going to be up in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Ooh. book tickets now for uh, Gilgamesh and me, because I'm directing it. It's going to be awesome. Oh, fabulous. It's at Augustine's, or Augustine's. You can pronounce it either way. And when is it? When, when is it? An even better question. We're on the first two two weeks of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So that's the beginning of August. Oh, you know what that means. Do tell me. I'm in the UK at the beginning of August. Are you really? Oh, I totally am. That's quite exciting. You might get a chance to meet the Mike Senor. Indeed, he'll be the one heckling. from. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your toast, Foley! So much heckling. I'll be throwing toast from the front. <laughs> Right, okay, wonderful. Well, come for that, if nothing well, else. On that wonderful thought, <laughs> we'll bid you all adieu. To our pets. <laughs>